Stay right there in your spirit for a moment while I summarize where we've been and take us to where we're going. God, it is so difficult for us to imagine an environment that would be so hostile to the gospel. But yet, we do want to imagine it because we want to sympathize with our brothers and sisters who are there. And we want even more than to stand with them in their circumstances, to stand with them in their faith. We want to have that kind of faith that will overcome, that will outlast, that will stand firm in any circumstance. So, Father, even as we pray that you will build up their faith and keep it strong, we pray that you will do that for us also because we have our own circumstances of apathy and alienation to deal with. And, Father, we pray that this portion of the word that you give us today will build that life in us that will cling to you no matter what. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please have a seat. Well, Jesus has been preaching to us the Sermon on the Mount. Now, as I began this series, uh, I, I began um, in the middle of the sermon, and I did it for a very good reason. You remember we chose that section of the Sermon on the Mount that had to do with the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. The first thing I wanted you to see was the greatness of the life that God calls us to. And so we listened as Christ described to us the extent of obedience to the law, greater extent than we'd ever seen, the depth of the obedience to the law. And, 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 and we listened as Christ uh, described to us the depth of religious practice. And we listened as Christ described to us the depth of the cost of that. And now I want to take you back to the beginning. And I want to do it for a couple of purposes. First of all, many times it's easier to understand where uh, the, the full meaning of the beginning, if you can see it from the end. Uh, We will use that principle over and over again. You'll hear it again this morning in uh, the sermon. But we want always to inculcate the practice of viewing things from the end so that you can see the full meaning of the beginning. But there's also a couple of things that we've not talked about yet. One is the qualifications in your personal life that the dawning of the kingdom gives you. And the second thing is the effect that's supposed to have on the world. And that second thing we're going to carry into the new year and out of that one passage, being salt and light in the world, we are going to live that passage as a congregation all of 1998, that same passage again and again and again and again in detail until it's not only inculcated into our lives, it's inculcated into our community. So that's where we're going. But but let me... Um, uh, as my grandfather used to say, explain to you the circumstances of the Sermon on the Mount. If you have your scriptures with you, turn to the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter. The Sermon on the Mount is really a fuller explanation of the declaration of the kingdom of God, which declaration is noted in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. When Jesus says, repent, 
For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, it's very important for us to understand that with Jesus, the kingdom of heaven invaded the earth. I mean, literally. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to live like heaven. You don't have to wait till you get to after you die in order to experience the quality, some of the qualities of life of heaven. Because in Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven came down here on earth and is available to us. And really, the Sermon on the Mount is an explanation of what life in the kingdom of heaven is like. That's exactly what it is. And so as Jesus takes his position on the mount, if you, if you read in that first uh, verse, and when he saw the multitudes, he went up on the mountain. Now, we don't know exactly where this mountain is. We don't know how much of a mountain it really is. It was, it was someplace around Capernaum. Capernaum is not a real mountainous area if you've been over there. It's kind of like central Florida. And so this mountain may have been like Mount Dora. We don't know. It just what, probably wasn't any great shakes as a mountain. But I want you to notice that Matthew draws the parallel between Jesus and Moses. And whereas Moses delivered the law from the mountain, Jesus delivers the completion of the law or grace from the mountain also. And it says, and when he went up on the mountain and after he sat down, now sitting down was the, was the official posture of a teaching rabbi. Uh, we are peripatetics. We, those of us who, who go after uh, Socrates and Aristotle walk as we teach. But in Judaism, there was an official posture of teaching and that was sitting. We still carry that symbolism with us. In academia, the head of a department is the chair. That is the official teaching uh, um, department. Uh, the, the, the head of a, of a uh, uh, some, of the, some of the larger Catholic church are cathedrals, and that's where the bishop sits as the chair of the bishop or the cardinal or whatever it is. And so, so we still carry that symbolism with us, and so Jesus sat down to issue an official teaching. And his disciples came to him. Now, disciples are simply learners. That's what the word means. And the disciples, those who would learn from Jesus, came to him, and opening his mouth, he began to teach them about qualifications in the kingdom, not for the kingdom. This is very, very important. All of us know that we don't have to live this in order to be saved. The Bible says very plainly we are saved by grace, unmerited favor, through faith, and that not of works, lest any man should boast. And so it's not that the kingdom comes in our lives because we have pre-qualified or that we become a part of the kingdom because we are qualified. When you stop to think of it, that's not very different from most of life. Most of life we get thrown into before we're qualified. Did you ever think of it? I mean, it's really true. Becky and I dropped in a wedding yesterday, uh, a young man who we've known for years and years, known the family for years and years. Um, he, he watched him play Little League Baseball. Uh, he ran our son. He was on staff for a while. Got married yesterday. So we're sitting there. I'm thinking, is this guy qualified to be a husband? I've known him. Say, is he qualified to be a husband? The answer was no. No. I looked at her. She qualified to be a wife? Uh-uh. No. But who of us was when we got married? No. You, 
What happens is you become a wife, you become a husband, and for the rest of your life you try to qualify as a good wife or a good husband. That's how it works. How many of you were qualified to become parents before you became one? Uh-uh. You can take care of all the brothers and sisters you want to, and that does, you will never be ready for parenthood. It's a different bailiwick all day. You can work in daycare centers all you, you but qualification, become The only way you're qualified is that you become one, and then you spend the rest of your life trying to be a good parent. That's the order in which it happens. How many of you were qualified for the job you now have? No. You may have you may have qualified to get the job. You may have qualified to land at the position because you had the right kind of degree or the right kind of experience. But you aren't qualified on a job until you've done that job for years and thereby establish qualification for the job. Same thing in ministry. God has thrown you, many of you into ministries you never, you never thought you'd be inside and outside the church. I'm not qualified to. Of course you're not. You're there, and afterwards, God qualifies you. And so this Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about many of the qualities that are not yet in our lives, even though we are a part of the kingdom. Don't let that intimidate you or make you think you're not part of the kingdom. If you have faith in Jesus Christ, you are a part of the kingdom, and the kingdom of heaven has dawned in your life. What it is doing now is it is qualifying you to live like you're in the kingdom. And so these are the qualities of those who are in the kingdom. These are the qualities that are being developed in those who are in the kingdom. And opening his mouth, he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a summary verse. He starts off in the Beatitudes. By the way, the, the word Beatitude is uh, Latin, beati, that means blessed. And this kind of blessed, if you take this word in Greek, it really has a, a, an inner intonation, not a circumstantial intonation. It means happiness, but not happiness like we use happiness. Many times we connect uh, the word happiness with outward circumstances. We get the word happenstance uh, from the same root word as happiness. This, this happiness doesn't depend on your outside circumstance, as you will soon find out. And by the way, if you came in here this morning depressed and feeling helpless, boy, did you ever come to the right place. If you have friends who are depressed and feeling helpless, send them to tonight's service. This sermon is for you. And what this says is, this is the qualify, this is, this is the summary verse. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the whole kingdom of heaven. Now watch what this means. Luke, in his version of the Sermon on the Mount, just stopped with blessed are the poor. Now, it is a blessing in some ways to be poor. Because those of you who are struggling right now, those of you who are living very modestly right now, it's tough for me to call anybody in America poor. But, but, we, but many of us know what it is to struggle with money and what it is to wonder if we're going to have enough to, here comes the bills and God, I, you've got to provide for this. There's, not, there's nothing in the checkbook to deal with this. You've got to provide. And so there is a distinct advantage to counting on the blessings of God or we're sunk. 
That is, a, that, that, that is an advantage that sometimes you miss if you have plenty of money. Because you begin to, you begin to feel like you're, you're okay, you're self-sufficient. And so it's a little bit tougher to feel dependent on God in some ways. And so Luke said, blessed are the poor. You've got, it, you've got a leg up here, at least in one area of your life. Matthew took it to the deeper uh, and, and more extensive meaning. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And what this means, blessed are those who don't feel adequate in any area of life. Blessed are those who, are, who recognize that they have no earthly resource other than God. Or they can't depend on any earthly resource other than God. Good for you, the Bible would say. Man, are you, you've got a tremendous advantage. Do you realize we live in a society where the more specific your problem, the more sympathy you get. But those with just general problems don't get much sympathy. I mean, think about it for a minute. We live in a society that really uh, fosters the illusion that I've got a series of problems. If I can just take care of them one at a time, then my life will be fine. And that is an illusion. I was reading a book last week. It was a, it was a book, uh, what, what was it? Um, uh, something about um, a guidebook for the losers in life or something like that. It was kind of a comedy with a Doug... Uh, Garden, I think, was a, was the guy's name, and and uh, he was talking about what a loser's like. What a, and and he said, he said, do you realize? He pointed something out. He said, do you realize that if you have a specific problem and you'll voice it, you can go to any recovery group in this land, and you can stand up and you can say, uh, or or a series of them. You know, I I'm I'm uh, Chris Johnson, and I'm a uh, midget tossing, uh, cross dressing. Uh, uh, overeating, beer-guzzling drug addict. And people go, yeah, all right! Way to go, all right, Chris, way to go, way to go. You, you, I mean, you get up in the same group, and you say, hi, I'm Chris Johnson, I just never could quite get my life together. And people go, dong, you know, get next. But, so what? So, you know, what's, what's the deal there? Why is that? Because... Because you could probably overcome midget tossing or, or cross-dressing. You know, if you, if you work day at a time, you, you could probably overcome overeating or, if you, or, or alcohol. But, but, you know, what happens is you get, in this, you get in this mindset, well, if I do overcome, if I do get in this, this area under control, then my life will be fine. Let me ask those of you who have overcome an area. If you get that under control, is your life fine? No. There is the illusion that if I just take care of this one specific thing, then I'm going to be okay. No, generally, you're not really reaching reality until you say, you know what, I, I don't think I'll ever quite get it together. I, I, don't think that, I, I don't think that I'll ever, no matter how many singular problems I solve, not be dependent on God. Bingo! Blessed are you. You've hit on a great truth here. We have a general problem. And the problem is that we don't have just one demon. Remember, remember Jesus going up to, to the demon-possessed man and he asked the demon, what's your name? And the, and the response, and I don't think it's any accident that this was the one that got recorded in, in Scripture. The response was, we are legion. 
We are legion. There are so many of us, you can't even count us. Did that intimidate Jesus? No. Did Jesus heal? Yeah. But we've got to look inside us and say, you know, it's not just that I have lustful thoughts. It's not just that I can't keep my finances straight. It's not just that. It's that I am generally tempted to try to find an easy way out of anything, including problem solving. I am generally tempted to oversimplify my problems, thinking if I can just take care of this one area, life's going to be fine. That is an illusion. No, the only way life is fine is when you get to the place where you go, life's not fine without God. No matter what area you talk about, I need you, God, in this, or my efforts are not going to be much good. Blessed are you, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. You who realize you don't have an earthly resource and you can't conquer, th conquer things one at a time. It's not that you can't have areas of victory. God gives you areas of victory, but he doesn't solve your life. What he does is give you himself. Blessed are you. You've gone deep there. Good for you. And then Jesus says this. He said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, there's two kinds of mourning in this life. And, and thank God, both of them are allowable. It's okay these days to cry, even for men, especially you 90s guys. Go ahead, let it out. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's okay to, to, to weep at circumstances. It's okay to cry because you're in pain. It's okay to cry because you're depressed. That's okay. That's good. But there's something deeper meant here. The kind of mourning here is the kind of mourning not about our sorrow, but about our sinfulness. Not about because we're suffering through certain circumstances, but because of what there is inside of us that may have attributed to those circumstances. It's a deeper thing. Many of you know the feeling of, of hidden sin. You, you're the only one who knows about it. It's secret stuff. Many of you had a grandmother or a grandfather just thought you were the berries. Absolutely thought you were just princess or king or whatever. And you know the reason they thought that is because they didn't hang around you every day. <laughs> now, for, from a distance, you look okay. But they didn't know you very And you went around with this huge guilt thing. Oh, man, if they knew me, they'd never think that. You know what? The good news of the gospel is this. The one who knows you best loves you most. That's the good news. Blessed are you who are not afraid to go from sorrowing because of your circumstances to sorrowing because of your sin. Blessed are you who are not afraid to say, I wish I didn't have the nature that would try to get out of responsibility, that would try to, to sabotage other people, that would try to just, I just got this nature, it just, it, it hurts me because I'm not the person Jesus died to make me and that, I mourn for that. I mourn for that. That's the depth. When we were raising the boys, Becky was a great mother. She's a great mother to raise boys because she is so tough. We had three boys, and I've told you before, every one of them was strong-willed. Everybody's supposed to have at least one compliant kid. Well, somebody's got our compliant kid out there. 
because, and we got your strong-willed one, because every one of our kids were just strong-willed. And, and when, they, when they would do something, you know, Becky would be, boom, right there with just, swift justice. That was her motto. Not an overreaction, not pain for pain's sake, but swift justice. Boy, you paid. You paid. And they always had the same reaction. Boo, tears, you know, when they were younger. Oh, I'm sorry. And Becky would always ask a very important question. She'd look at him and she'd say, are you sorry because you did it? Or are you sorry because you got caught? And now you're suffering. That's a very important question. I think God would ask us all that. Are you sorry, sorry because of your sorrow? Are you sad because of your sorrow? Or are you sad because of your sin? Are you sad because of that basic nature that as soon as you get this problem solved, it's going to go, as soon as you get out of this circumstance, it's going to go toward this other thing. See, that's that's where Jesus said, if you're sorry because of that basic nature, if if you mourn over your sinfulness, then this is where you can give it to God and say, God, I am just basically a sinner. And that's why I need your forgiveness and your grace. And you know what the Bible says? You're going to be comforted. Who is the comforter? In the the Bible, the Holy Spirit's the comforter. And it literally means that those who will admit our weakness in sin, God comes along with his strength. That's what comfort means in Latin. Latin. Com meaning with, and fortis is Latin for strength. And so the The one that comes with strength comes to us and bolsters us with the strength of God. God said this, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. But you've got got to understand that mourning is a good thing because it's a crying out for God. God, I can't do this without you. I need you. That's a good thing. When you're the weakest, you're the strongest. And then look what he says. I love this next one. He says, blessed are the gentle." The meek, you've heard it many times in the King James. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, I'm not sure how much of a blessing that is to inherit the earth. Some, some people said, well, the meek were the, would, be, would be the only people that would take the thing. I don't know. But I know this, and I, and I know why it says this, and I know why it's true. The meek, which are not the weak, this is two, this is two different things. The meek are the ones who trust in God so much they don't have to be strong and controlling in every circumstance. Listen to this. Those in this world who seem the strongest will very, very, very few times last the longest. You know why? Because they expend all their energy on stuff that really doesn't matter. They have to assert themselves or justify themselves or argue leadership in everything that goes on. Consequently, they waste all of their energy on things that are passing. And they waste all of their time on things that won't last. Only those who can see that God is in control and rest in His control really can focus on the world long enough 
to build up the stuff that will really last. All the rest of them just kind of take themselves out of the picture. Think of it for a minute. How many angry people do you know that are angry all the time will ever do what matters in this world and ever have a satisfying, content life? None of them. I mean, it just doesn't happen. I was driving, I was driving uh, to uh, home from Monday, Monday evening service uh, last Monday evening. Went to down 1792, got in a left-hand turn lane at uh, 436, ready to turn, and this road rage thing broke out. And, and, and people, I, two lanes over, there are these voices using this horrible language. I mean, it wasn't complete sentences at all. It, there, there were no verbs. There were just uh, nouns and adjectives. And, 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 I, and I see these people start to get out of the car. And it's two women who are coming. Who are coming and I'm thinking to myself, should I intervene in this? And I thought, are you kidding me? <laughs> when I was going through seminary, incidentally, I, was, I umpired a women's softball league. I will never do that again. I, I, I swore I'd never get in, in the middle of two women again. Now, if it, it, had, been, if it had been an adult, a child, or, or, or a man and a woman, I, I probably would have stepped in. But I just thought, wow, this is really something. And I sat there thinking, and these guys are just, I mean, yelling and, you know, starting to push and shout. I'm thinking, what a way to live life. Well, my light turned green, and so I, I drove on. But I thought to myself as I was driving, now, what, what's it going to be like for, for both of those parties when they get home? Are they going to get home and just kind of enjoy their family? Mm, no. No. Uh, if they get home, are, are they going to be able to just be, be, be thankful for the blessings that God has given them, you know, and, and derive the full meaning of life? No, for three days, they're going to be pumped about this idiot that they, that's all they're going to think about. And, and all of their attention is going to be expended on something that really doesn't matter. Why? Because they felt necessary to assert themselves in things that had no consequence whatsoever. Christians, listen, we can afford to be gentle. We can afford to let 90% of what's important to everybody else pass by. Who cares? Who cares who gets there first? Who cares if somebody cuts you off? Who cares? Is that important? It's not important. Only what God thinks is important is important. Only what God thinks is important is going to last. And you know what that does? It allows us <laughs> to be gentle. To be meek, to say, whatever, it doesn't matter. That's one of the great things about getting old. You start, you start, I'm, I'm learning all this stuff. I'm, I'm just, few, a few months, I'm turning 50. So I'm gearing up for it. And my body's already there. I mean, my body, my body beat me to it. And, and I, so I'm reading all these books on, you know, the benefits of old age and all that kind of stuff. And kind of joke books about old age and... And, uh, and I'm identifying with all this stuff. It's really hilarious. It, 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 I read a book this week. I can't remember what it was, uh, but it... <laughs> it talked about getting up and, and, and feeling like the morning after, only you haven't done anything the night before. <laughs> I know what this is like. There's so many mornings I get up, I think, this has got to be what a hangover feels like. But I didn't do anything. <laughs>
You know, I know what it's like just to want to go to the rocking chair, but, but not going because you haven't got the energy to keep it going anyhow. Why, <laughs> why sit in the thing? I, I know what it's like. But I'm also, I'm, also knowing, I'm also learning the benefits of old age. It is so cool. I think it's so cool that the longer you live, the worse your eyesight gets. Think about this for a minute. That's a tremendous blessing. The longer you're married, the worse your eyesight gets. Think about it. A few days ago, my wife told me I was handsome. You think I'm letting her near an optometrist? <laughs> now, she's not a danger in the road. She can still see the big stuff. <laughs> but it's the little stuff she can't see anymore. It's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing. And to me, that's just kind of a parable. You know, you can see the big stuff, can't see the little stuff, so you're happy. It's good. It's good. There's lots of stuff that you, that you just doesn't matter anymore. It just doesn't matter. I don't, I'm not eating natural foods anymore because I need all the preservatives I can get. <laughs> I, I just, I want to eat those things that I can't pronounce, you know? Maybe it'll help out. The point is, it's Satchel Paige once said this. I, I love Satchel. Satchel Paige was a great uh, black athlete that was just great for a long time. He was in the Negro Leagues before they uh, uh, integrated uh, the major leagues. And he was still pitching, I mean, pitching wonderful baseball. When he was in his 60s and 70s, and they, they used to ask him how old he was, and he wouldn't tell them. And he said, he, he'd say this, you know what? Age... Is mind over matter? If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I like that. There's a gentleness to that. There's a gentleness. Jesus would say this. You know, you can, you can live your whole life in the words of Shakespeare, full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's what, that's, what, that's what regular life is. Or he could say this, and he did say this, blessed are you who are gentle. You, you know what's important. The things of God are important. Blessed are the meek. You're going to inherit the earth because you're the only ones with an attention span long enough on the important things to do the important things. And then it says this, last one for today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I love this. Jesus said, there is the kind of life that hungers and thirsts for so many things, but there's no satisfaction in that. How many of you live in fear right now that you will not be able to accomplish all you wanted to accomplish on this earth. I tell you, a sector of our population that lives in that kind of fear, and that's people, especially men, who are going through a midlife crisis. Do you watch people like I do revert to being little kids when they're like in their 40s or something? I mean, it's just odd to me. 
They start trying to dress younger. They start trying to look younger. They start trying to turn back. And it's getting younger and younger. I mean, people in there, maybe it's just an excuse for doing stupid stuff. I don't know. But but there are people in their 30s who are just kind of reverting to, to little kid. And you know why? Because they're so afraid that they're going to live this life and not get to do all that they thought they could do. Well, let me ask you, those of you who have accomplished and been detoured into the thrills you thought would satisfy you, did they? There's no satisfaction in that. All of the thrills, all of the accomplishments you thought would mean so much, as soon as you have them, you feel just as empty as you did before. As a matter of fact, it's like drinking salt water. It makes you even thirstier. Jesus said this, Blessed are you who hunger and thirst after things that will make you close to me. You're going to be satisfied. There's no regret in things like that. The more you realize what will always be valuable, the more you're satisfied that what you have done is what you wanted to do in the first place. You see, that's, that's another thing that that some old age can can help you do. Those things that you always thought you wanted to accomplish but didn't get to, when you get to be old enough, you can look back and you can say, man, I'm glad I didn't go that direction. That's not what I wanted in the first place. I'm so glad that I didn't spend more of my time doing stupid stuff. But when you, when you live from the backwards forwards, this is what Soren Kierkegaard said. He said, you only understand life from the back forward. It is so, so, such a shame that you, you have to live from the forward back. But he said, he said, when you understand life from that which is truly satisfying, that which brings you closer to God, that which lets you experience His eternal peace, his eternal joy. When you love like Christ loved, when you help just in the littlest way, and you know there's a note of the purity of Christ in what you've done, that's when satisfaction comes. You know that. So Jesus said, live like that, and you'll be satisfied. So here's what he was saying. You know what? If you're if you're poor in spirit, if you feel this morning like you're never going to be adequate enough, if you feel this morning like you're so sad because you're always tempted, if you feel this morning like like you you don't want to just control the world anymore, you've resigned being manager of the universe, and you've chosen instead just to be gentle and, and to not concentrate on a whole bunch of stuff anymore, just the little things that are important. If you feel like you don't want to hunger and thirst after everything that crosses your path anymore, Jesus said, oh, you are so blessed. Good for you. Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. You will be comforted. You will inherit the earth. You will be satisfied. Pray with me. 
Lord, the very ones who came in here this morning dragging the most are in the best position to re-lean on You. Lord, help us all to be so glad that we don't have to pretend that we're adequate or good anymore because we can know that as we open up our inadequacy to you, you come in and you fill us with your adequacy, which is better than anything we could have come up with. We pray, I pray, for all who are poor in spirit this morning, all who mourn, all who would be meek, all who would just want to get closer to you. Bless them, Lord, with the kingdom in their heart. In Jesus' name, amen.